Welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast with Hal Elrod. I'm your host, Nick Polkuski, and you're listening to the show that is guaranteed to help you take your life to the next level faster than you ever thought possible. In each episode, you will learn from someone who has achieved extraordinary goals that most haven't. He is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Miracle Morning, a Hall of Fame business achiever, an international keynote speaker, ultra-marathon runner, and the founder of VIPSuccessCoaching.com, Mr. Hal Elrod. All right, welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast. This is your host, Hal Elrod. And uh, today's episode is different. This is this is I'm excited about this. In fact, I was telling our guest uh, a couple of minutes ago that doing research on him, it actually it might have changed the format of the podcast moving forward. So, which is kind of exciting, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit more. But uh, today's podcast is is probably the deepest we're going to be diving into the science behind goal achievement and the science behind goal achievement, and specifically the science around focus because obviously right your ability to focus and and to the uh your ability your capacity and and the the consistency in your focus determines really the consistency in your results and in your ability to achieve your goals and uh, our guest today is dr andrew hill he holds a phd in cognitive neuroscience from ucla's department of psychology and he continues to do research on attention and the brain i'm excited for this as a as you know someone who's been diagnosed with adhd i can imagine this is an episode that is tailor-made for me but uh, dr hill is the the lead neuroscientist for True Brain. He's the co-founder of Alternative Addiction Treatment, and Dr. Hill lectures at UCLA, covering courses in psychology, neuroscience, and gerontology. Uh, did I say that right, Dr. Hill? Yeah, gerontology. Gerontology, sure. I got it right. And, uh, and he's recently opened the Peak Brain Institute, uh, a brain performance center in Los Angeles. So I'm really excited, and I actually, I found an article that Dr. Hill published called uh, Dr. Hill's Six Tips for a More Focused 2016. And this is really what I want to dive into is, is these six tips and how you can apply these to help you make really make this your best year ever and, and achieve your goals uh, this year and, and, of course, beyond. And, and um, yeah, that's it, man. Dr. Hill, you, uh, you, uh, you ready to go? Sure. Sounds good, Hal. Thanks, Thanks. for being here, man. I, re- I really appreciate this. Yeah, my pleasure. Cool. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out by I will, I'll read your productivity algorithm. And that is okay. sleep plus diet plus workouts plus meditation minus stress minus distractions equals productivity, essentially. Am I going to get that right? Sounds good to me. So let's dive in. So the, these six tips that you have to really improve focus for 2016, uh, what's the first one? So, you know, sleep is very important because uh, it effectively uh, uh, influences every one of our resources, not only from a perspective of having enough uh, energy, you know, if you aren't rested, you don't have enough energy, that's sort of obvious, but it looks like sleep, the actual uh, sort of regulation of sleep, your brain's ability to transition in and out of sleep, to go through the different stages of sleep when you are asleep, that is really key in brain health and it helps long-term improvements of sort of uh, resources. Um, and it looks like that sleep and attention management are inextricably linked in some way. So almost all people that have ADHD, for instance, have some sort of sleep regulation problem. Uh, and if you affect your sleep, if you hack your sleep to improve it, meaning you're able to fall asleep roughly at will and sleep deeply for several hours and wake up cleanly, 
then you, everything else improves. And if you have issues with stress or learning or memory or performance or focus and you don't sleep well, uh, that is often the sort of low-hanging fruit for improving performance um, very easily. You know, it's, it's typically fairly straightforward to hack sleep um, unless your sleep is profoundly dysregulated. And there's lots of things you can do, sort of good sleep hygiene or sleep hacking things to uh, optimize your sleep. Um, we could go into them or we could start, you know, going through other aspects of the, uh, the algorithm if you want. Well, yeah, no, I'd love to go into them a little bit. And, and but first I want to ask you a question. There's, you know, there's something that I talked about in my book, The Miracle Morning, when, when I addressed sleep and I took a little bit of flack for it. Um, uh -huh, a couple, okay. couple of negative reviews on Amazon that said, how dare he advocate sleep deprivation? And I, you know, I, I went back into the book and I read that part and, uh, you know, it's, it's like, well, I didn't advocate it. I said, this is my experience. So I really, I'd love to hear your scientific opinion on this and, and I guess the question so the, first I'll, I'll explain my take on this and then and then I'll follow up with the question mm -hmm. my take is that to a to a degree we need as much sleep as we believe that we need and again I don't have scientific data this is via experience of the you know well research a little bit of research and experience around the mind-body connection and the idea that if we if we if we believe that we need eight hours of sleep to function and we are getting to bed later than normal or we have to wake up earlier than normal and we're thinking oh man I'm only gonna get six hours tonight well I need eight I I, mm -hmm. I need eight so I'm gonna be tired in the morning and I believe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy alarm goes off and you go ah oh, I only got six hours of sleep I'm exhausted right yeah so uh, so there's this, I have this kind of take on you. We, we need as much sleep as we believe that we need to an extent, or at least that we can influence how we feel in the morning, how rejuvenated our body is uh, based around just our beliefs about sleep and, and, and believing that we're the sleep that we're getting, whether it's six, seven, eight hours, depending on circumstances, is going to rejuvenate us and recharge us. So I'd love your take on that, you know, that, that, that whole theory uh, of mine, mm -hmm. and then specifically how much sleep you believe that we need, or if it varies from person to person. Yeah, I think the last thing you said is probably pretty telling for all the questions. Um, sleep is uh, pretty variable across individuals, you know, the amount you need. Some people can sleep for you know, five or six hours, and it's plenty. Um, and other folks um, might need eight or nine. Uh, I, I think maybe the subjective assessment of how much sleep you need is probably informed by experiencing different amounts of sleep. And so you might believe you need seven because you have some experience that demonstrates you actually do fine with seven. Um, I don't think that, honestly, a, a, a belief about the amount of rest you need will have all that much influence on the rest you received, okay. sort, of, sort of post hoc. Um, going into your sleep, you know, if it's 1 a.m. and you have to get up at 6 a.m. and you're like, oh my God, I only have five hours left, I'm not going to get enough sleep, that will affect your sleep adversely, you know, stressing out about the mm. amount of sleep you can get. But post, you know, after you've slept, oh my God, I only got six hours, I'm going to have a crappy day. I think that's probably less real. Uh, it's less of an impact uh, subjectively. Um, now, okay. if you do it day in, day out, you will be operating in sort of a deficit and, and you'll be you know, performing less well and you'll know that. Um, I think that's probably a, a valid sort of self-assessment. Um, but my guess is it's more bound by what you usually get and what you know you sort of you know, uh, need for sleep hours. And when you get less, you have a subjective and accurate assessment that you know, an hour and a half, two hours less sleep than typical is not good. That's not necessarily torpedoing your day. 
through the psychology, through the sort of nocebo effect, if you will, it's, um, it's probably really a function of you accurately assessing that you're in a slight deficit. Got it. So how many hours, I'm curious, how many hours of sleep uh, do, you, do you engage in every night? You know, I try to get seven. Um, doesn't always happen that way. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have a new startup, you know, Peak Brain uh, in Los Angeles. And um, in a new startup, you know, you're working six, seven days a week, long days. I also teach a couple courses at UCLA, uh, and I'm still involved, of course, with True Brain, uh, and even a little bit with alternatives, uh, addiction treatment still. So I've got essentially four, you know, jobs and um, not much life besides. <laughs> so uh, I have a, I have a, um, a fairly rigorous morning routine that keeps me sane and keeps me productive, um, and and I rely on that as the sort of you know touchstone and. Uh, you know, one thing to sort of talk about the sleep hacking uh, uh, strategies, it's much more important to control when you get up in the morning than when you go to bed at night if you're having issues with sleep. The entrainment or the brain's ability to synchronize your own circadian rhythm with the Earth's 24-hour cycle, this is really key in both sleep architecture as well as general brain health. You know, if your sleep cycle, your, your circadian rhythm is sort of sliding past the Earth's 24-hour rhythm and not synchronized, all kinds of negative things happen, mental health things, inflammation, sleep deprivation, depression, faster aging. So keeping your own uh, circadian rhythm synchronized with the Earth's photo period is fairly important. And the uh, environmental signals that do this, which are mostly sunlight, are strongest in the first hour after dawn. And so if you're having really erratic sleep, uh, to help your brain understand what time of day it is, it's critical to get up at the same time every day or roughly. Yeah. Um, so you shouldn't be, you know, if, if you're wondering, well, I can never, I, I can't predict my sleep. I have a busy job, a busy life. Who is this guy saying I should get seven, eight hours sleep a night? If you can't do that, it's okay. But the place to um, be rigid is in your rising time. You know, pick a time where you can get up the same time every day and do that with some consistency. And that will re-regulate your sleep even if you're not getting enough, it won't, you know, staying up late at night won't necessarily uh, de-entrain you. Um, it won't, won't mess with your circadian rhythms to the same degree if you're still getting up in the morning at roughly the same time. Well, I, I feel better because that I, I did. We're on the same page with that, at least. Uh, okay. I, I said, yeah, the importance of waking up at the same time and training your body and training your brain for that. I'm, I'm a big, uh, big advocate for. So that, that's great. Now, you mentioned uh, we, we can't skip over this because you mentioned you're you're huge into your morning routine. And that's, you know, that that's my whole uh, wheelhouse, my my the miracle morning is my book and, and that's really my focus so i, I i've got to know uh, can you walk us you know briefly walk us through your morning ritual and sure. from the time you wake up and until kind of the time you go to work yeah sure so i get up about six or six fifteen. um usually by 6 a.m I'm, I'm awake and i putter you know for 20 minutes half an hour on the house uh use the restroom brush my teeth do that kind of stuff you know uh, and then um, I, this, this new company I started, Peak Brain, happens to be right next door to uh, my Ashtanga yoga studio. Hmm. And if you don't know what Ashtanga, the, the, the flavor of yoga is, it's this it's a style of yoga where no one's talking to you, um, typically. It's, there's, there's a, Ashtanga is done in more sort of Western style where it's a lead class. It's also done in what's called, called Mysore style. And Mysore style Ashtanga, you show up in the morning and you start your practice 
And then the people are walking around sort of gently adjusting you or sitting on top of you or giving you some, you know, gentle pointers. But there's nobody at the front of the room saying, do this, do this, do this most mornings. It's, it's sort of uh, self-driven. And because of that, there's not a lot of verbal uh, information coming at you. And I used to get up in the morning and spend half an hour meditating before I did anything else, take a shower, go to work. And now um, I actually end up doing my meditation while doing the yoga because it's about uh, – I do about an hour and a quarter, hour and a half of Ashtanga every morning. But it's an hour and a quarter or so of moving fluidly with synchronized movement and breathing from one pose to another pose to another pose. And there's no one talking to me. And mm. so that ability to move without language and to move through sort of synchronized breathing and body postures – very quickly drops you into a meditation space where your mind is spacious and open and uh, less cluttered. And so I sort of use the, the, the physical exercise of yoga uh, also as a, as a meditation. And, and Ashtanga is a fairly rigorous form of yoga. You know, you, you drop pounds of sweat every day. Hmm. Uh, when doing it, it's, it's, it gives you one of these really muscle-bound, long bodies. Uh, uh, it's about the most muscle-building form of yoga i found. Um, it's, it's sort of what hot yoga and, and other forms of like really intense yoga were derived from. So it's sort of classically, a, a, a somewhat intense, but very self-driven practice. And so I show up about, um, about six 30, uh, and I'm usually practicing for about 45 minutes before the instructor even shows up. Hmm. And then he, and then he walks around and, you know, sits on people, pulls their arm around, points at their, you know, has them move their knee a little bit, a few degrees here and there, just adjusting people. And then I continue my workout, um, and as I get deeper into my sequence of poses, there's things I'm less comfortable with or less good at, and the instructor will come around and sort of, you know, adjust and guide. And then I literally just walk next door to my office, take a shower, uh, and by about 8.15, I'm seeing clients. Um, so it's a little compressed into sort of one event, you know, this, this yoga, and it used to be that I would um, get up, meditate, have breakfast, take a shower, go to work. And it would take about two, two and a half hours. And now I'm sort of two hours after getting out of bed, I'm, I'm at work, having already spent a good solid hour, hour and a half uh, exercising and meditating. And then I typically have you know, some, a couple cups of really, really nice pour-over coffee, you know, low, uh, small batch, organic uh, kind of coffee. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big coffee snob and I, I, uh, <laughs> I drink a, probably a little too much coffee. Um, but I have a couple cups of coffee with some sort of high fat, uh, uh, uh dairy in it in the morning, you know, b butter or uh, whole cream usually. So essentially, so what I would call bulletproof coffee, is that? Yeah, I don't bulletproof it. I mean, I, I, I definitely don't put, um, those products in, I mean, I, I yeah. don't use, I don't use refined MCT oils sure. every so often I will sort of bulletproof it and I'll, but I use less fat than, than Asprey would suggest. In a, in a big like 10, 12 ounce cup of coffee, I'll use a, uh, like a teaspoon and a half of uh, butter and like less than a teaspoon of coconut oil. I'm such a, a coffee aficionado <laughs> that when you, add, when you add too much fat to these things, it masks the flavor. Yeah. And I'm just, just not willing to give up the flavor for the fats. Um, and so I hedge and I put a little bit of fat and usually that means just raw cream or whole cream. Um, and I don't typically go for the full blown you know, butter and, and coconut sure. oil. But when I when I do want a little bit more uh, you know energy or a little more sustained fuel, um, maybe a bunch of podcasts to do in the morning or something, then I <laughs> then I will um, then I will add some more fat. But usually my my brain support is uh, coffee and nootropics. So of course I'm uh, one of the founders of TrueBrain. I helped design the TrueBrain products, 
And so I typically start off with a capsule pouch of True Brain with my coffee and then have some sort of uh, you know, high-protein uh, uh, food in the first couple of hours after I worked out, you know, high-protein without too many carbs. And if I'm going to have some carbs that day, I typically have them within an hour after working out aggressively. Um, but I'm also one of these people that keeps the carb count down a little bit. I, I have a high-fat, low-carb uh, diet essentially. Yeah. Got and that it. means no yeah. no sugar, no refined starches, um, and no grains. I, I keep all grains out of my diet. And uh, so, you know, I'm having eggs and, and vegetables and things like that for my morning, typically. Um, and so by, you know, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., I will have already started seeing clients. I've got, you know, a, a pint or two of really nice high-end coffee in me. I've got a little bit of uh, protein, some fat. Um, and I've already worked out for a couple of hours essentially and I'm usually in this fairly peaceful meditative state, the sort of state shift you can get from meditation and that tends to last for several hours into my day as long as I've been you know, doing it relatively regularly. I love it. I mean, that's you win the morning, you win the day, and you're you're a living example of that. Let, let's dive into the second tip here. And you, you know, you mentioned uh, you you probably you just a minute ago mm-hmm. said I probably indulge in the in the coffee a little bit too much. I'm such a coffee aficionado, snob, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, tip number two is improve your diet and watch the caffeine. So uh, so, yeah. so talk about that. Yeah, I mean. Uh, people have a lot of different individual variability in how they metabolize caffeine. There's at least three different gen- genetic sort of uh, flavors of the enzymes you can have to break down caffeine. So you don't really know unless you've done some genetics uh, if you're a fast or slow or medium metabolizer. But regardless, hmm. the, the the range of half-life, the, the elimination half-life for coffee is uh, between three and six hours. And what this means is um, – the amount of caffeine you take in is dropped by half uh, about three hours in if you're a fast metabolizer. And so pounding coffee all day long every day um, very quickly increases your dosages and caffeine is um, not you know, altogether without some drawbacks. It's not what I would call a nootropic because it has side effects. It's habit-forming. Um, for me, I, um, and again, I drink a lot of coffee. Uh, I used to be in high tech, which may have something to do with it. I went to grad school, which has something to do with it. And um, I, I have to be careful to keep my caffeine consumption under about one gram per day or I start getting you know, heart palpitations and things sure. and, and anxious. But that's potentially you know, five, six cups of really, really high-end coffee. Um, I encourage most of my clients to do a two to three cup coffee uh, regimen a day. Um, I think that's the, the literature would suggest that um, and it's not, it's not the caffeine per se that's causing these benefits, but it looks like two to four cups seems to improve brain health long-term, decrease inflammation, decrease depression, decrease markers of aging, um, and potentially be neuroprotective against things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, as well as maybe even diabetes. So um, as long as you aren't putting sugar in the coffee, you're getting all these benefits, and somewhere in the neighborhood of two to four cups a day seems to be where the benefits accrue. And much beyond that, there's no uh, more benefits. And there may be some drawbacks. The increased cortisol you get from the caffeine, the increased acids from the coffee, uh, those can be a sort of problem if you overdo it. So probably two to three cups a day is really the sweet spot, which depending on how strong you brew your coffee, um, might be something in the neighborhood of of, uh, half a gram, you know, 500 milligrams if it's you know, three sort of big cups of strong coffee, not mm-hmm. Starbucks. I mean, a single Starbucks, you know, venti might have 
300 milligrams of caffeine in it. Those are fairly extreme. But, yeah. you know, a 10, 12 ounce cup of coffee you make yourself is probably, you know, 100 milligrams, 150 milligrams of caffeine if it's strong. And I'll have three or four of those uh, probably, you know, by lunchtime. And my clients who I'm, I'm coaching about brain health, uh, I encourage to, you know, if they, if they like the flavor of coffee, I encourage them to have two cups a day just for the health benefits. Um, and if they find them that they're very sensitive to caffeine or they're having too much coffee, I, I give them the sort of trick of keeping some L-theanine around in supplement form because if you over-caffeinate, you can pop an L-theanine and just bring everything right down. Uh, all the jitter, all the stress just vanishes within, you know, half an hour. So L-theanine, uh, and that's a supplement you can buy on Amazon or, or yeah, wherever? Yeah, it's over-the-counter. It's very innocuous, very safe, very, very cheap. You know, it's a few dollars for a bottle. Um, L-theanine is an amino acid. It's called a non-essential amino acid. We don't need it, but it's, you know, it's fairly uh, a typical sort of natural compound found in nature. Um, it's also found in tea leaves, and this is one of the reasons why tea does not produce the same pushy jitter that caffeine by itself uh. or coffee can produce. And so um, uh, I like to mix uh, a, a L-theanine source with my caffeine and not only get the push, the increased beta brain waves, but get some GABA, some increased alpha some flow state uh, from the caffeine sources that I take. And so we actually ended up putting theanine into uh, the True Brain formats, of course, but we're also about to release a True Brain coffee. And we have these little dosing sticks that contain L-theanine and a form of uh, choline called alpha-GPC. Um, because I sort of think that coffee by itself can be a little too stimulating, a little too activating. And uh, buffering it with some L-theanine and a little bit of choline seems to make the effect uh, sort of hang out in the sweet spot of stimulation but not jitter, focus but not distraction. Um, and so um, I think optimizing your caffeine so that you sit in that sweet spot of arousal versus performance is important. I mean, if folks aren't familiar, there's a, an invert, inverted U-curve, an ups, upside-down U-curve of stress versus performance. And any kind of physiological arousal uh, or stress potentially can increase performance. A little bit of stress, performance goes up. A little bit more, it goes up even more. At some point, you start increasing stressors and performance plateaus. And then when you increase stressors even more, performance degrades. Uh, it, this, okay. And this is for complex tasks. Simple tasks, the more stressful they are, the better you do. But complex things like you know, driving a car, making decisions, living your life. Um, as stress goes up, performance can start to degrade. And so it's, it's important you recognize if you are under-engaged with the environment, you don't have enough stress, or if you're overwhelmed by the environment. Neither of those is optimal for keeping yourself in the high productivity, high focus mode. And so when you're manipulating your brain chemistry and your body chemistry with caffeine, it's important to notice that, okay, I've overdone it. I've gone you know, one cup too many, and no, I'm no longer uh, moving forward with my attention. Now I'm bouncing off of things. I'm stressed. I'm jittery. Uh, that's a sign you've probably gone uh, a little too heavy in the caffeine, and um, that's a sign you should probably back off by about one cup and make that your daily dose. Got uh, it. And, and you and the the uh, do you, so do you the L-theanine, which is an amino acid. That's something that you you typically always pair that with your caffeine with your coffee. I don't always because um, we also put L-theanine in the True Brain uh, product. The got it. So you've already got your and the drinks, and so. I typically down a pouch of the capsule product uh, early in the day, and then midday I either have another pouch of the capsules or I have the True Brain drink, and um, both the capsules and the drinks have L-theanine in them. So 
I get some just along with it. I only keep a bottle of L-theanine around in case I, you know, find myself drinking the fifth or sixth cup a day and realize that I've, you know, overdone a little bit. Then I'll, I'll reach for some extra L-theanine. But clients of mine that are, you know, anxious or and who use caffeine, you know, r- routinely, I encourage them to just simply add in L-theanine now, you know, uh, as a as a, a modifier for the the caffeine they're already taking in. I'm not averse to caffeine, but again, cardiovascular risk, jittery stuff, you know, mental ang- uh, anxiety, that can be problematic and cause um, some stomach, you know, clenching, some appetite suppression. And so you got to be a little cautious uh, for the drawbacks. But on the upside, as I mentioned earlier, um, potentially protective against diseases of aging. And it also looks like uh, coffee especially is a profoundly important antioxidant source in the diet of Westerners. It looks like that Westerners may drink, uh, may consume more antioxidants from coffee in the diet than all other sources combined. Hmm. You know, roast, roasted coffee beans are incredibly good antioxidants, incredibly high antioxidant profile. So I think that dietary antioxidants are incredibly useful to take. Um, I don't mean supplemental. Antioxidants. I actually think that taking supplements that are antioxidants is often dangerous. It often is anti-health. Um, it can be really problematic to re- remove the oxidant stress in your body that aggressively with a supplement. Um, just to, take a, to departure, there's a there's a uh, a concept in health called hormesis, and hormesis is a a useful stress. So um, if your body encounters like a virus it mounts a response to that virus that's sort of a useful stress. If your body experiences wear and tear, it notices the wear and tear and goes to make a repair activity start happening. If you swallow huge amounts of supplemental uh, antioxidants, your body does not sort of perceive the stress markers. And specifically, there's evidence that um, broken mitochondria that are pumping out reactive oxygen species or free radicals, if you're taking huge amounts of dietary supplemental, not, not food, but supplement, antioxidants, you eliminate the body's tendency to uh, clean house and remove these reactive oxygen generating mitochondria. And so you actually prolong the negative sort of harsh environment with these reactive oxygen species, free free radicals breaking down DNA, if you take too many uh, supplemental antioxidants. And so you're removing one of the signals the body uses for repair and and you actually deteriorate health status. Got it. So Moderate caffeine. I think that's that's the lesson, right. everybody. And and, exactly. and right and do it. You know, mix it with fats. I think that's one of the things you talked about with your diet. Is you know you, yep. you the high fats and I our brain feeds off fat. Correct. I mean, that brain is fat pretty much. It's your brain mostly is fat. fat so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think people right there was the craze for so many decades, if you will, eighties, nineties. Uh, you know, and probably even today of the whole fat-free movement. And I yeah, think it's really such a problem. Yeah, it's hurt a lot of people as they went for these fat-free foods, and you know, it sucked the the fuel out of their brains. And uh, all right, so so let's get tip number three. This is this is an obvious one. This is one that everybody's going to go, yeah, yeah, I got it, got it, got it. So let's just touch on this real quick. And I'd love to know uh, the frequency or the time that you recommend. So tip three to improve your focus is exercise more frequently. Couldn't agree more. I exercise in the morning, and then I take a lunch break, and I exercise in the middle of the day to kind of re re-energize, mm-hmm. if you will. Yep, yep. So I'd love to hear when you say exercise more frequently. What's the ideal frequency? You know, so a few things. When do you exercise? How often do you? exercise or you're not necessarily you but what's your recommendation mm-hmm. yep. uh, so when how often and for how long if you could answer those three yep. real quick and, and we'll get to point number four 
I think moderate exercise is the key and regular exercise is the key. Within that, there's a lot of variability that's probably healthy. Um, I tell my clients to shoot for about two hours of cumulative exercise per week as a minimum and to break it apart into three segments as a minimum. And so that ends up being three 40-minute exercise bouts as sort of a, a target for people. Um, I personally do about an hour, hour and a quarter, uh, six mornings a week. Mm, um, so for me, it's you know five, six days a week and I'm doing an hour, hour plus. Um, I, I think the regularity of it is more important. You know, the, the body develops lots of issues when you sit still for too long. In fact, being sedentary day in, day out is as large a health risk as smoking you know, two packs of cigarettes a day on cardiovascular risk. Mm. So it's very important to keep the system moving. I think it's much less important in terms of if you're doing you know, your hour or two hours in a CrossFit box or playing frisbee on the beach or hiking a mountain or doing yoga. I don't think it's really that, that, that critical. If you're getting routine, regular exercise and you're enjoying it and you're you know, sweating, then it's probably sufficient. Just regularly move your body. That, that's the key. Yep. Okay. yep. Move often. Move often. Uh, no, t your fourth tip on staying focused, and, uh, and this is one that I've really in the last few years come to appreciate and engage in more, which is you said grow your meditation practice. And I love what you said. You said think about meditating as a workout for the brain. The more you do it, the more you'll be able to see the results of improved focus. So for someone that's never meditated before, like let, let, let's start there. If someone's a, you know, if they're, if they're a mindfulness, you know, aficionado and they do it every day, uh, well, let's not address them. If somebody is listening and yeah. they, the meditation hasn't worked for them, you know, maybe yeah. they tried it, they did it for a week. I like what you said. The more you do it, kind of the longer you do it, the more you see benefits. So what, what would you say to someone that, uh, around meditating again, how, when should yeah. they do it? How often should they do it? Well, I mean, it doesn't matter when you do it. If you only have 10 or 15 minutes to do it, do it in the morning because, as you say, when you're morning, when you're whole day. Um, if you, and you will change your state. You're less stressed, less reactive, more spacious you know, thoughts. Um, even if you sort of squeeze time and grab 10 or 15 or 20 minutes in the morning, you get that time back later on that day because you're less reactive, less being pushed by your experiences. And so you're much more efficient. So take the time. Make the time. You will get it back. But in yeah. terms of what it is, it's not blanking your mind. People who haven't meditated or are sort of concerned about you know, their ability to do it often uh, tell me something to the effect of, I won't be any good at it. I can't shut my mind off. And I want to emphasize to new people who are you know, novice to novice meditators, that's not meditation, shutting your mind off. The act of meditation is concentration or an anchor. You, you pick a, a focus for the attention and then you attend in a specific way on purpose to the present moment. And, you know, since you have a brain, it gets distracted, you get hungry, you think about the cute girl you saw, your knee hurts, you're, you're fantasizing, planning, remembering, dreaming, wishing, whatever. That happens because you have a mind. So when you notice you have drifted away from the focus, be it the breath or a sound or something else you're doing, the act of meditation is simply noticing when you've drifted, putting down the distraction, going back to the anchor again and again and again. That's the rep of meditation. And you might do that a thousand times in 10 minutes. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. 20, minute, 20 minutes a morning is my prescription for people. And it's an everyday thing. It's mental floss. It's not, you know, would you skip brushing your teeth one day? No. Yeah. You know, this, this, is, this is that critical. Um, it also tends to build benefits long term. Even 20 minutes a day, you know, if you're a long-term meditator, your brain appears to be spared the ravages of aging, the cortical thinning that occurs naturally, normally healthy aging. That does not happen if you're a meditator with years of practice, even 20 minutes a day. Well, so it's not – Oh, mm -hmm. go ahead. 
Go ahead. I would say it's, it's not so much about the amount you do or, or the style you do. Um, uh, it's about doing it with routine, you know, with, with, with an everyday sort of practice. Yeah, and I love what you mentioned the time earlier, how long you do it for. And uh, I, I can't remember who said it, but they said if, you know, if you hear people say all the time, I don't have time to meditate for 20 minutes a day. And he said, well, you don't have, to, if you don't have time to meditate for 20 minutes a day, then you definitely need to meditate for at least an hour a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, like, that's, that's some classic. I'm not sure if it was Jack Cornfield or John yeah. Cabot or somebody, but somebody said that years ago. Well, meditate for 20 minutes if you can. If you have 20 minutes, do it in the morning. If you have 40 minutes, maybe do it morning and evening. If you don't have 40 minutes, you should be meditating for two hours. Yeah. You yeah. know, like if you, if you don't think you have time, then you really need to meditate because you're just not living in an efficient way. If you're being pushed and reactive all day long, that's not a very comfortable or efficient or productive way to live. You don't have to live that way. Get control over your, you know, sensory filtering, executive function, reactivity, yeah. And meditation changes everything long term. So it's, you know, it's only positive. Yeah, and to me it's 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 your the time to access the essence of life, right? Mm. When you're meditating, mm. you go this is life. Like everything else is just BS. It's, you know what I mean? This, yeah. this is living. Like I'm in the essence of the moment. This is the essence of life. So for me, that's, that's once I got my head around, this isn't something that I a have to do and B it's not something that's taking me away from other things. Mm -hmm. This is actually shoot. If I could meditate all day and just not yeah. be doing things, but being, there you go. Right. I mean, one yeah. Of my, so uh, one of my old uh, co-founders in a startup guy named Karash Rasek. Uh, Karash is a meditation teacher and he always talks about, okay, it, it's, it's time to be a human being, not a human doing. Yeah, 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 I love that. Uh, all right, so tip number five, improve your stress response. We are a stressed out society. Uh, they say it's one of the leading causes of disease, if not the leading cause. So uh, well, what's your best tip on how to improve your stress response? You know, I sort of touched on it earlier. Um, it's really important to gauge where your stress response is and how it affects your productivity. If you are bored sitting around watching TV, you're not going to rise to the level of using your resources. If you have 10 times as many things coming at you than you can handle, you're not going to be able to use your resources efficiently. So figuring out, gauging if you're able to hang out in that sweet spot of engaged enough but not overwhelmed is really the key. And that's so individual. You can't really describe what, you know, some people really thrive on full catastrophe living. Other folks really like to be in quiet environments and use a single laser-like focus for every task. It doesn't really matter. One of those is not better or, or worse. What matters is are you able to hang out in that sweet spot of continuing to pull resources out, continuing to meet your demands, and use your skills at their peak. Um, if you're too stressed or not stressed enough, you're not going to be performing well. And it really sort of behooves you to gauge that stress versus performance uh, you know, balance as you live your life. The last tip, and I think this is one of the most important, I mean, it, it, it's the other, it's the, you know, the opposite of focus, right? Which is distraction. So the, your sixth tip on improving focus for 2016 is to minimize distraction. So what is your, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? What, what's your best tip on how we do that? Because again, we are a distracted society. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fairly distractible, but a little bit ADHD, even after all the neurofeedback. <laughs> um, I've got mul multiple startups, I teach. I have so many demands in my time. And for me, the strategies end up becoming about scaffolding, you know, using tools like uh, GTD or you know, getting things done, applications to keep track of categories of tasks, using things like Pomodoro to have sprints of work where I'm not distracted. Um, so I just I hack my, my time so that I know if I'm in a heads down focus mode 
or if I'm in, a, I'm in a drink everything in a react mode. And it's important to choose if you're in reactive or, you know, sort of get things done mode and move back and forth between those modes. If you are not able to control your responses, you're, you're always going to be reacting. I mean, there's an old joke about if, if the task is killing alligators and you can't drain the swamp, you're never going to kill alligators. And you end up dealing with things that are urgent versus important. Um, it's, it's really bad to be handling things as they present themselves, the urgent things, as opposed to the strategically important things. And if you're not able to uh, you know, handle or, or, or track those distractions into a bucket that you trust, then you're going to be reacting to them in the moment and, and getting more sure. and more stressed as your bandwidth gets you know, sapped. So for me, using tools like Notepads, like a Getting Things Done application, I use OmniFocus on my Mac. Um, or even notepads, keeping you know, a little thing in the back pocket to jot down things I don't forget, or audio notes on my phone. Um, I have buckets to catch all these things, so I'm not trying to remember what I have to do next. I'm just f- focusing on what I'm doing right then. And that's really about being present in the moment with a task, the same way you would be present in the moment with like a meditation practice. Yeah, and, and I find that, that mor- the morning, that's another powerful component of having a morning ritual, even, even if it's not your personal development ritual, but the post-personal development ritual. So after meditation, after yoga, uh, for me, it's focusing on what's my highest priority, the number one thing that I need to do to achieve the most important goal or goals uh, in my life, and I just simply do it in the morning so that uh, the rest of the day, the distraction doesn't have such a significant impact, uh, you know, negative impact on results, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. you get the most important thing done first thing in the morning and then, you know, and then the rest of the day doesn't have to be as perfect. Your execution doesn't have to be as flawless because you're, you, you know that you've already handled as uh, Stephen Covey called it, the big rocks, right? You got those done first thing uh, and the rest can kind of work itself out. So great, great stuff. Uh, and Andrew, I know we're out of time here, uh, Dr. Hill, but if, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, I know I do want to mention, by the way, uh, your uh, blog at truebrain.com the, uh, the, you've got a bunch of great articles this, this one that I found the six tips for a more focused 2016 that we dove deeper into today uh, mm-hmm. but you've got great ones on the importance of sleep on nootropics on caffeine on how to meditate you know more on stress all of these aspects so what, what is the best way for people to connect with you to uh, get your products programs services etc sure yeah so you know, so the clearing house or the, the touch point I think is probably Twitter uh, Andrew Hill PhD on Twitter, um, and then from there we have we have a True Brain uh, website trubrain.com. Uh, the blog is there. I think it's it's actually through Tumblr. Um, and uh, beyond that, people can check me out at peakbrainla.com, which is our our uh, you know, individualized sort of one-on-one brain training center. I love it, and I'm uh, I'm wanting to come out there and uh, and do a brain scan. Sure, as soon come on as down. We'll do a QEG for you. Yeah, I just followed you on Twitter too, so there we go. Great, great. Cool. Well, uh, Doctor Hill, again, thank you so much for lending your time and your uh, your expertise. I, I really appreciate you being on the the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Hal. Cool. All right, Achieve Your Goals podcast listeners, thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, I hope you got as much value as I did. This is an episode that I will personally have to go back and re-listen to uh, as there were so many nuggets that uh, that Dr. Hill uh, shared with us today. So thank you for being a loyal Achieve Your Goals podcast listener. I love you. I appreciate you. And I will talk to you next week. Take care. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. 
So now we wanna know what were your big takeaways from this episode? What are you actually gonna do to help improve your focus here in 2016? How are you actually gonna apply uh, Dr. Hill's six tips to make sure this year is even better than last year for you? Simply head on over to hellhour.com slash 110 for episode number 110 and leave a comment there on the show notes page letting us know what your big takeaway was. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by going to hellhour.com slash iTunes, clicking the little subscribe button, and then if you would, please leave a rating and a review because rating and reviews are truly the best way for you to show your appreciation for the show because they help more people find out about the podcast and decide if this is the one for them. So now, until next week, it's time for you to go out there, take action, and achieve your goals. If you're looking to grow your business using podcasting, but don't have the time to edit the audio, insert the intro and outro, write up the show notes, post the episode to all the different sites, and do all of the ridiculous back-end work that's required, then you need yourpodcastguru.com, where you bring the content and we take care of the rest. We'll even co-host the show for you. Visit yourpodcastguru.com right now to explode your audience and crush it in the podcasting world.